Welcome to Sweeping the Country once again, a vault episode. And today, this is very special, Jimmy, to me as I listen to the interview in preparation for this. Uh, this is a guy that you you aren't just interviewing, you know him. Yeah, I do. And we've known each other since the uh, mid-70s. Wow. And he was uh, just getting started in the Commodores. Mm. Uh, his name is Lionel Richie. He is from Tuskegee, Alabama. I am from Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, we used to, I was on the radio there when he was just getting going. And I think we first met at the airport when he and the wife, Brenda's first wife, uh, were flying off to somewhere and I introduced myself. And then through the years, we, we stayed in, you know, we, we'd see each other backstage at the Grammys yeah. or somewhere and it just kept going and going. And then in Nashville, you know, we, he stayed there once and did an album. Over the years, we've just, he introduced me to uh, Michael Jackson. Oh, wow. I'd already met Michael one time, but we're at the Grammys and I yell out, Richie. And he looks over and he says, Jimmy. And he gets me, pulls me over uh, behind the velvet rope. And he, it's Michael, Kenny, and Lionel talking. And he introduced me, you know, my long friend, Jimmy Carter. And, and I had met Kenny peripherally over the years, had Michael one time in a room. But anyway, that was really cool. Yeah. But it was before we had cameras everywhere where you took pictures and everything, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. didn't do it. But, but Lionel and I sat down in, in Nashville a couple of years ago and we just, kind of talked and there was an album he had did he did with a bunch of country artists yeah. and so that's why he was in nashville and we talked about everything mostly in the beginning growing up in alabama how are you jimmy what Come smell on. do you think of when i say the word tuskegee you have a smell that runs through your mind or a, or a, or a color yes well no the smell i got it right away um tuskegee is grass i i i think of Wow, you would ask that question. And I think of Tuskegee and cutting grass. And um, I know the backyard. I know exactly what it smells like. I know that um, peach cobbler in the kitchen. I know the, um, wow, I could tell you some great smells down there. What age person are we talking about here? We're talking about Lionel when he was five years old. We're talking about Lionel at 20, what? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, that's when the family uh, time, Dad and I would wax the car. You know, I could tell you what the, I could tell you what the wax smells like. Uh, I could tell you what the lawnmower was all about. You know, that gassy kind of oily smell. You know, um, it was just, it was just home. You know, um, blackberry pie. Whew, my brother. You ever laid in the bed in Beverly Hills and smelled jasmine, and maybe gone back a little bit to the honeysuckle I'm smell sorry, of Alabama? I was going to say honeysuckle right away. That's part of the vines on the side of my fence going down the backyard. Yeah, it it uh, Jimmy, it's um, I'll get those smells every once in a while just to say it, you know, to say honeysuckle, and and I it brings me right back to that backyard, um, mint tea. Mm -hmm. Well, we grew mint in the backyard, so my mother would always say, "Go down in the backyard and pick me a couple of those little uh, loaves of uh, leaves of uh, mint. Bring my mom, put it in the iced tea." Are you kidding me? And then later on, I remember. See, I didn't know you, but going to G's restaurant. <laughs> Do you years, know? You'd go in there with some of your bandmates, <sighs> and I'd be coming over from Auburn, and we'd go there to get steak once a week. And yeah. they had good French dressing, I think. Well, it's country fried steak, mm -hmm. to be exact, uh, if I could tell you correctly. No, G's restaurant, it was actually the place where you were in high style in Tuskegee. If you went mm -hmm. to G's restaurant for lunch and uh, an afternoon uh, dinner, it was the place. Um, it was 
probably the best of times. Did you ever go back to Tuskegee and kind of run away from the world just to kind of, you know, yeah. like resetting a computer or rebooting a computer? Funny you should say it like that, but that's exactly what I would do. I, it got to the point where probably right after All Night Long, right after Hello, uh, going back to Tuskegee became an event opposed to a place where I could hide out. Um, up until that point, I could sneak back in and uh, get in my Datsun 280Z or get in the car and drive across town. And other than being, you know, just a part of the community, I could sneak in and sneak out. Right after All Night Long with the Olympics, I tried to sneak back into town, and I remember um, I came in at 12 o'clock at night to kind of get to my house, and one of the police officers in town saw me in the car. The next thing I know, the mayor was coming up the driveway. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't, I had a proclamation sitting at the top Johnny of the driveway. Johnny Ford there. Johnny Ford, exactly Johnny right Ford there, the right there. Lionel, whereas Lionel Richie, and, yeah. and I realized I don't think I'll be able to sneak back to Tuskegee, but there's a, there was a time when I would go back just to walk up in the woods for a minute, and um, I, my biggest joy was to cut paths through the woods, so that if, if in the wintertime you cut the path in the wintertime, so in the summertime there was a path for you to go. Because if you didn't, if you didn't cut the path in the wintertime, you're not going to get in those woods in the summertime. Mm -hmm. And so that was my little getaway shot. But after a while, it just became too hard to go home. Yeah. You know, it's a shame. You know, when you, you've handled fame pretty well. Uh, really, I mean, you look, at, I you look at the other people that have been left behind, you've handled it real well. Yeah. What do you think, why do you think you were able to do that? What was, why were you able to sustain and not go crazy? We went a little well, crazy. I but, went a little crazy. But not you, crazy you, but like you, we know But things. you got to go crazy. I mean, you, you can't help but go crazy. It's just how bad is it going to be when you go crazy? I, I think what helped me tremendously was I had um, a different kind of, village. Tuskegee was a different kind of village. I, um, Growing up, I didn't have to sneak away from my mom and dad. What did I say? Mom and dad. I had to sneak away from the whole town. So I, I was kind of raised with a little guilt, if you will. You know, um, were you worried? Were you scared of your dad? Like he was going to discipline you? Or oh, no, no. Did they, would you ever get spanked? Or oh, you oh, no, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had to pull my own switch, too. You understand what I'm saying? Now, we said that in California. No, we, we'd both be arrested. We'd I mean, yeah, arrested. yeah. But, but, no, that was a part where, by the way, I had three spankings before I got home. Yeah. So the, if, if the village caught me doing something wrong, I would get a spanking, a spanking, a spanking. Then I went home and got a spanking. You understand me? Yeah. But that's the way the town was. I had a, I had a, I had a sense of um, what would my mother think, what would my father think, what would the town think. Um, so I don't know whether it was just a sense of not embarrassing. What did my mother say? Now don't embarrass me now. Then your folks say that to you all the time. Mm -hmm. Don't go out there and do something stupid to embarrass me. Um, but after a while, you couldn't help it. I mean, listen to me, uh, Jimmy, you know it very well. You go from being completely invisible. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you could talk to one girl. Maybe, maybe you found somebody that says, I love you. And then you go out into the world, and you don't have to say, I love you anymore. They say, I love you. And then you go, really? And you go through about five years of complete, wow, this is fun. And then as time goes on, you go, this is not cool anymore because now 
how do I know who loves me? That's right. I mean, really. You know, you mean you just met me, you love me, but I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. And that's when it gets scary. I think what happened to me was I had a chance when we first went to Motown to watch the other guys before us. So I watched what Marvin went through. I watched what Michael and the kids went through. So I always figured if when we get famous, we're going to try to avoid that. Were you scared? You were scared things were going to happen to scared you? Scared to death. Because uh, let me tell you when you know you've changed. And then this is when you get scared. You wake up one morning, and from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed at night, everything you do is all right. Everything you do is, it's all right, Lionel. Everything's perfect. And you know, all right, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to knock all these things off the counter. That's quite all right, Lionel. We'll, we'll clean it up. No problem. I'm going to take this Coke bottle and throw it behind the bar, and I'm going to break everything in the bar. It's quite all right, Lionel. Everything's fine. So with music, did you ever tell, did anybody ever say, Lionel, that's awful? Oh, yeah. Well, they did. Who they, you, thank who God. Awful? James you? Anthony Carmichael. Carmichael. Okay. You understand. So that's why you liked him, kept him so long, because oh, he would tell God. you if you were... Now, James not was good. not hip. He was not hip. Never hung out at a club. In fact, he was the choir director through all the hit records of the Commodores. And all of the, all night long, and the dancing on the ceiling, stuff. he was still the choir director at his church. But what I got him for was, he had a common ear. If James Carmichael liked it, all the folks between New York and L.A. liked it. You understand how that mm -hmm. worked? He had this pedestrian ear. In New York and L.A., that was with the hip ears. I love the solo, Lionel. I love the way you riffed. That riff, he would sing it so that everybody in the world would sing that melody. You follow me? Because he was not a singer. So if James Carmichael liked it, the world liked it. It's just I just use him as my little, my little. Which Buddha. is one of the secrets of your success yeah, that people Buddha. can sing along with I your music. Love him, love that guy to this day. I mean, I still stay in touch with him to the point where, you know, he's just and he would sit there over and over again. He says, "Brother Richie is good, it's just not great." He would use those phrases, you know. This album is kind of going back to that. Then you were, I guess, maybe you didn't know what you were getting into <laughs> with this, but. It was a little bit of a search for normalcy, wasn't it? Trying to find a little bit about, you know, where this Lionel Richie guy come from. Maybe I can find it with these people who are all successful but fairly normal. You no, know, this was the best group therapy session I've ever had in my entire life, this album right here. You wake up one morning and the music business went left. I don't know where it went, but all of a sudden you go, don't you want to hear a melody? No, Lionel, we got a couple of beats we want you to check out. And I go, but don't you want to put a melody in here? And you realize, wait a minute, what happened? What just happened? You know, and then you go to Europe, and they're still singing melody over there. So you go to Europe, and you go to Japan, and you go to the rest of the world because they're singing melody. But you really want to come back to America, and you just can't find yourself in America. And then all of a sudden, I woke up one morning and discovered that if I go to Nashville, Tennessee, and just say the word country... They sing melody, man, all day, all night long. And they have another phrase, singers are golden, but writers are gods. And so what I realized that the songwriter in Nashville, that's it here. And I got involved in this record and realized 
they're reminding me of every melody I've ever done. And I just kind of enjoyed sitting in normality for a minute, if you will. Did you think this would be a quicker process? <laughs> of course I did. Because, I mean, I had the feeling you scheduled two weeks for this or maybe three weeks for this, and it was and like swimming so, in peanut butter. so good. Peanut butter is correct. Um, Tony Brown came to me and said, Lionel, we do things fast down here. We'll knock this album out in about three weeks. Three weeks to a month and you'll be out of here. And I scheduled exactly three weeks to a month, not realizing that I'm doing a duets album, which means availability of other artists. Let me, uh, let me report to you right now. Everybody that's a superstar in country music is working. Nobody's sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring, which means I had to wait for them to either come off of a tour, finish an album, put the album out. Who's the coordination of how do we put this record out with everybody scheduling? So what took what they said was going to be three weeks to a month and it would be nine and a half, ten months. Well, this is a series of... Of 12 first dates. That's exactly what it was. Because that's know, awkward. And particularly was, in the music business, oh, you're, not, you're, you're, not, you're not really comfortable telling these people maybe how they ought to sing something. Well, you know what it is? I gotta be, now, let me tell you the joy. There's a joy here. Uh, as uncomfortable as it might have seemed um, when you're thinking of, you're meeting Tim McGraw. I've known Tim, but never spent time in creative mode before. Um, we're going to walk in a room. We're going to be cordial to each other, and then we're going to carve out a great record, three hours. I would say to you, tough. Let me tell you what made it a joy. A, they knew the songs better than I did. Two, the familiarity. I didn't have to introduce myself as Lionel Richie. They know Lionel Richie. So it was me getting used to them more so than, because they live with me. And then I realized, wait a minute, I know you, and you know me. It took five minutes to realize, are these the greatest personalities in the world? No, these are country artists. I've been criticized in L.A., California. Lionel, oh, you're the hugging and kissingest guy in the world. Well, I found out something. Mm -hmm. This is country music. This is where I got hugging and kissing from. Everybody walked in the room. We hugged for the first time, you know, and it's the jokes, the personalities. The, it was less than 15 minutes. We were old friends. But so, on one cut, you had Shania Twain, and it was a whole nother. Was that, was that early in the process or toward the end or the middle or what? You see me get all like that. Was that the very first thing you did? That was the not the very first. If that would have been the very first thing, my brother, could. I would have jumped out of a window because I did not know, I did not know, I, I don't know whether it's the, Endless Love is set up to be a difficult song. It's never been an easy song. with uh, Diana Ross, Lionel. Uh, I'm in New York. I know Diana. I'm in L.A. and I'm doing two other albums. Are you, when are you going to come out to do the record? I'm not coming out, Lionel. Can you come to New York? I can't come to New York, Diana. Well, can you meet me somewhere else? We decided to meet in Reno, Nevada. I mean, are you kidding me? I'm doing Kenny Rogers from 10 to 6, Commodores from 6 to 12, and now she has from 1 to 4 in the morning in Reno, Nevada. I mean, it, it was impossible to put this record together. And of course, Shania, can you meet me in uh, Nashville? No, I don't feel. Can you come to L.A.? No, I don't feel. <clears throat> can you come to Nashville? No. I just... Where do you want to record, Shania? Bahamas. <laughs> I, 
I'm, I, Lionel, I don't think I can sing this song. What do you mean you can't sing this song? I mean, you know, I'm, every possible angle. Then there's Ohm down there going, you know, Shania's not singing. What do you mean she's not singing? So I carry her in the room, close the door. Shania, what's the problem? She says, well, I'm scared. And I said, well, guess what? We're both scared to death. And she said, well, you're Lionel Rich. And I said, and you're Shania Twain. I said, but the thing is, we've never done this before, so we're going to go ahead and sing this song. She walked in, and I left the opening of her voice. The first note you hear her sing on In This Love is the first time she opened her mouth. I kept it on there for a reason. I want her to always hear that she has never lost her voice. But, you know, as, as artists, we freak ourselves out and listen to that little voice within and saying we can't. We can't when really we can. And so that was the most difficult song. But, I mean, look how it came out. Now, the album is like uh, aged whiskey or something. Your songs, I reintroduced myself to the songs. It gave me a new energy about it. I liked the tracking from the first to the end. This last song could have gone 20 minutes and it had been fine with me with all night long. I mean, it really, you know. When you go back and think of people that you've worked with, and I, I keep thinking of this because I met him with you the second time, was Michael Jackson. You ever think about Michael and just, you know, just think about him as your little brother and, yeah. and miss him or just say, because he possibly is the most misunderstood yeah. musician of all time. You know, I, I, Ali said something to me and I referred to Michael Jackson. They said, Ali, how does it feel being the greatest, greatest boxer of all times? He said, no, 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 no. I'm not the greatest boxer of all time. I had the greatest opponents of all times that made me rise to my greatness. Okay, now I said that to say, I had a little midget called Michael Jackson at age nine that was a thorn in my side. That little boy could dance, sing, write, arrange, produce. And I'm much older and I'm going, I gotta beat that little boy. I don't know, why am I in competition with this little kid? Well, as time went on, that little kid became my friend. And we had this competitive friendship that if ever I thought this was the bar, he'd come in about here. And I'd go, oh, okay, you know, let me, and I never would have written all night long if it wasn't for, da-da, dun-dun-dun-dun, mm -hmm. uh-oh, here we go. You know, and all of a sudden I realized we were kind of having this wonderful competitive time together. And I saw his dreams swallowing. In other words, he actually did go beyond the bar to the point where it was so famous, it was so incredible, he fell under his own weight because he couldn't maintain that level of famous. And I remember we used to talk all the time about you know, Lionel, we're never going to let those drugs and we're never going to let that stuff get us like everybody else. And finally, when it did, I kept looking at him going, what happened? But I, I knew exactly what happened. The day he was burned was the day he was introduced to this thing called painkillers. Yes, and it was all down here. It was all down here. It, it, it just takes one little thing to, to just knock the edge off. Did you have that in 1987 in that you were so famous and so popular and everything you did, oh. everything you touched, yeah. turned to gold, Absolutely. that you just freaked out and just said, I gotta go I home gotta. and be with my dad and just you said be there. It, you said it correctly. This is crazy. You said it correctly. I, I think once I saw Michael wobbling, 
and I saw Prince go through his, mm -hmm. you know, I realized what was happening. Jimmy, we were moving so fast. I mean, we were moving so fast that my dad came to me one day. I think just the universe just sent the right message, even though it was the wrong thing I wanted to hear. My dad called me on the phone and said, son, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go to the doctor and check it out. Would you go with me? My dad's never said that before in his whole life. This is a military guy. Okay, this is the toughest, roughest guy. Never seen him sick a day in his life. But I could see a little bit of frighten in his eyes. And I'm used to doing album tour, album tour, album tour. And of course, the company was going, oh my God, Lionel, dancing on the ceiling. You got the Oscar. You got it. Come on, babes. We're on a roll, bam. Bam, 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 bam. I kept thinking, let me go home and check on my dad. And um, we got the news that, you know, it's not going to be good. And I didn't want to do the next album because I want to be there. Because yeah, this is the only time I've got. Well, it's a funny thing when you stop and you think it's for the right reasons. Well, also when I stopped, my marriage fell apart. And during that period of stress, the doctor checked my voice and he said, you know, you've got polyps on your vocal cords. In other words, the more I was slowing down, the more I realized, wait a minute, what the heck, I'm falling apart. So what ended up to be a year off became three years off. By the time I went through that whole drama of my life story, but I must tell you, it was probably, as I look back on it, the thing that saved me. Because if I would have kept that same speed going, I would have probably hit the wall early on because it was designed to not hurt me. It was designed to kill you. I always say to people every day, fame, money, and power does not um, change you. It only magnifies you. If you've got a little problem, by the time you get 90 to $100 million, it could kill you. Whitney Houston. Perfect example. Perfect example. Michael Jackson. Perfect example. Elvis. Name them. I can name them for you. Listen, you get $200 million. I'll give you $500 million. Let me give you $500 million and fame. Excuse me. I'll give you $10 million and fame. It'll kill you if you're not used to, you know, when you're starting out in life, you make friends. When you're famous, everybody's your friend. Mm -hmm. So pick one. Who's genuine? Who's the right one? Who's the wrong one? You don't yeah, the know. The people you started with are the ones that you have to go with. But the those, people that knew you before you were really anybody big. But those are the ones you burned first. You understand me? Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that said, you know, wait a minute, what do you mean you don't need me anymore? Because yeah. you know why? Because you found some Hollywood friends and you found the money friends and everybody's there for you. Your, your friends from Alabama can't fly in to see you in Vegas. They, they work every day. And they can't hang out at the bar with you on sunset. That's the school teachers. That's the coach at the high school. That's why Elvis hired his friends. That's exactly right. You understand? And I understand that. It's, it's so important to understand that, you know, what made this album so wonderful for me is that most artists in their lifetime can say, you know what, now I'm living in Hollywood, California. I don't go back there anymore. I can actually say, I can go home. Mm -hmm. This is a celebration of my home. Where I started, where I was born and raised. I mean, how many times do you get a chance to go back and thank the town that you grew up in? You know, and half of the folks that are not there, the joke that I tell most of all 
To this day, I can still go back to Tuskegee and be called Little Richie. There's a 92-year-old, Mr. Rab, sitting down there right now, Mike Rab. Hey, Little Richie. How you doing, boy? Your mom and dad be proud of you. Don't you wish more people knew these stories, though? Like me, we know about Ruby Folsom and just anybody that we can name. All the weird places you played. And, I know. You know, I, I, a lot of you that are watching, maybe Montgomery don't realize he went to Auburn for about ten minutes. About, yeah. And I never knew that until I. I mean, you've got a lot of things in you that I don't think a lot of people know. Well, where do you think I wrote Sail On? I mean, where do you think that came from? That came from all those experiences. In other words, if you talk to an actor or an actress in, L in uh, Hollywood, the first thing they say is, I draw from characters of my growing up. So Eddie Murphy, when he plays a certain character, that's somebody, that's uncle somebody, that's aunt so-and-so, you understand me? But see, that's why I don't understand you, really, more than anything ever, because we didn't have the internet back then, you had uh -huh. AM radio mostly, mm -hmm. FM really hadn't been invented, mm -hmm. we had no internet, we had other stuff. So all you would have access to was some AM radio stations mm -hmm. with indifferent, weird, different kinds of programming, mm -hmm. and you had your, maybe your mother's record collection, yeah. and that's it. So where does all this stuff come from? Did your mother have old 40s records or something? I mean, where did no, you get all this no, stuff no, from? No, no, because it's nothing to do with James Brown. It's no, nothing to do with The Temptations. No. If you know, I maybe said, it's, it's more to do with Smokey Robinson probably than anybody. Well, how about, let's go back a little bit. How about Patsy Cline? Let's go back well, to... Well, it's like Michael's mother said she used to listen, and so did James Brown tell me this, they would listen to WSM and WLAC radio here, Got it. and they would listen to John R., and they listened to all those John people. John R., exactly And right. every one of those people have told me at one time or another that they listened to the blues and they listened to some Opry thing, you know, that I was didn't on there. Know, I didn't know what I was doing. Remember now, there's no place to go after 6 o'clock in the evening. Am I watching Grand Ole Opera? I'm watching Grand Ole Opera. Is that Minnie Pearl? Excuse me. That is the television show. The other one was Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Excuse me. I mean, people, half the people I'm, we're talking to right now don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. But what I'm saying to you, there weren't 500 channels. No. There was only three or four television shows you watched. And so the answer is, I didn't have to go out of the house. I can stand on television. I know every last one of those country artists. It's just that I didn't realize they were country. You were being injected with country without knowing it necessarily. I didn't know. Remember, it didn't have a category. Right. It was called television. Mm -hmm. It didn't have a category. It was called radio. You know, so when you listen to the radio, I was listening to the country music and didn't know it. You know, I mean, it's, it's that naive, if you want the truth about it. I mean, I, it, it wasn't a calculation. So when Lionel Richie's, well, Lionel Richie, I'm speaking as in third party, but when I started writing, when I started writing music, I didn't know that I'm playing a little bit of Buck Owens here. I'm playing a little bit of Conway Twitty. I didn't realize that. What am I doing? Well, then how do you, I mean, one thing about you that's also interesting, you don't write white music, you don't write black music, you just write music. <laughs> music. Write, I say Lionel writes standards. That's, right. well, if I was your manager, hallelujah. I said Lionel writes standards. Hallelujah, you know? what did you but, just say? You know, I mean, it's, it, where did race in, in the, into this? I mean, you were, well, you were in a predominantly black city. No. There weren't, you know, mm. there, you were you were raised on a campus where Booker T. Washington yeah. and George Washington Carver were. So you'd think you'd been had more maybe R and B or know. blues in you than you ended up with. You are now you are now when I write the book, this is the story that's gonna be told. This album is a celebration of every song they told me would ruin my career. Hmm. Every song we are playing on this album 
is a celebration of every song that they told me would ruin my career. So let's go back. When I got into the business, I didn't know there was R&B radio. I didn't know there was pop radio. I know there was rock radio because I was not in the music business. I was not a musician. I'm an economics major. Mm -hmm. Come on. So when they said, who are you going after? I didn't know I was politically incorrect by saying Paul McCartney. I did not know I was politically incorrect by saying, well, uh, Billy Joel, Paul McCartney, um, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye. Well, I got two out of four right to be politically correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, so when I walked into the room, here I am in the middle of the civil rights movement walking across campus with my Marvin Gaye album, my Temptation album, and my Cream album, my Led Zeppelin album. Am I having a problem? I'm having an identity crisis. No, I'm not. I don't know about this, this color thing. But see, that's what they don't understand about us in Alabama. I'm listening to the intruders. <laughs> right, right. You know, cowboys to girls. I got I'm it. listening to stuff like that. They it. all think that we were listening to white people no, over no, no. here and black. We no, were probably no. more integrated as children okay. musically than we are today. Absolutely. Very much so. And the 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 fact that I was walking along now and someone said, Okay, Lionel, what are you gonna write? I didn't think I'm gonna write an R and B song. I'm gonna write this song. And it came out that wide to the point where you know you're in trouble when you walk into an R&B um, uh, station with Easy. Okay, now here's the problem. Um, okay, and the guy said to me, Lionel, we can't play that, it's too white. Okay, so I'll carry it over to the white station, which I thought was just another radio station. They played it. Now the next thing I said, okay, let me go back I wrote a song called Just To Be Close To You. Okay, Lionel, we can't, that's perfect for R&B, Lionel. That's, Lionel, that's too black. I'm having a problem because what, what is this? And of course, I walked in with three times a lady in the middle of disco, mm -hmm. and I carried it to the, the uh, uh, Jack the Rapper convention, mm -hmm. and they looked at me and said, really? This song right here, Lionel, is going to ruin your career. <laughs> and then I came back with Ceylon, and this is going to ruin your career too. Because you're all a funk band, and you need to recognize that. <sighs> okay, but here's what I found out. All the songs that were going to ruin my career went around the world. Oh, my God. So I got to the point where I started saying, I want to only deal with songs when they tell me they could ruin my career. <laughs> So, when, of course, when I came with All Night Long, Lionel, is there any Calypso on the radio? No. This could ruin your career forever. I said, put it out. You understand me? Now, thank God, I'm going to go back and tell you a great name besides James Anthony Carmichael, who helped me. Once I tell you this, you'll understand. Here are the three songs I threw off of my Can't Slow Down album. All Night Long, Running With The Night, and Hello. Wow. That's when everyone realized Lionel is never to pick another song again. Carmichael's joke to me was, write it, finish it, and then we'll discuss whether to put it out or not. Now, I had another angel that came along in my life. His name was Skip Miller. He was vice president of promotion at Motown. 
a black guy who understood me. And he saw that I was struggling at all of these various, is it white, is it black, is it country, is it? So he came to me and he said, here's what I want you to do. You can write anything you want to write, and I guarantee I'll get it played. And I said, got yourself a deal. The rest is history. He took the edge off of me trying to, because I'm sitting down trying to write, is it, is it, is this black? Is, and it worked. It's been an amazing career, you know, and it continues to. And you really are a hillbilly, I guess. Ma you I know, mean, and, and I, I, take I take pride in that, by you the really way. You kind of are, like, but you listen to Stuck On You, that's a country right. song, and Easy is a country song. Listen. But it's hard to believe this is the same guy that looked like he did when he played Brick House. Well, thank I mean, you very much. I, I, I appreciate that. By the way, that, that normally would be the biggest insult in the world. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> no, but consider, I'm a country boy. Listen to me. Yeah. And take pride in it. Number two. You know, if you look at who we really are as people, we're just people. And you know why these songs connect? It's because I'm not talking about a race of people or a color of people. I'm talking about stories that we all live. Stuck on You is not a color. Mm -hmm. All Night Long is not a color. Ceylon is not a color. Brick House is not a color. In other words, once I found out if I just keep color out and make it a story that's universal, which is all I'm, I'm about anyway. Thank God my mom and dad, when, when I was raised by them, they didn't give me their life story. I kept thinking, Dad, why don't you tell me about what you went through in the military? Yeah. Dad, why don't you tell me about what you went through? He said, son, I didn't want to limit you, is what he would say. If I had told you my story, you would have stopped at my story. So he didn't tell me about it. I didn't know the stories of his life. So I approached the world with, wow, we're going to be the Black Beatles. How stupid did that sound in the middle of the Civil Rights Movement? But we didn't know any better. That's right. Hallelujah. Yeah, no one ever told us what we couldn't do. No one told me can't. Well, good to see you. Love, good to see you, Jimmy. Love Carl. you, too. It's been right, great man. seeing you all Great, time. man. You know, it's just amazing. There's a whole bunch of people, um, Jimmy, that don't even know he was part of the Commodores and all that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the guy has a history. He's got the Kennedy Honors Award. He's got every – I mean, what award he's does got he an not Oscar. have? He's got, yeah. he's got everything. He's yeah. got – he's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He's in – He's in. The, now he's going to be this summer, you know, in the Rock and Roll Hall Is of Fame. Is he really? I that's did not the, know that. That's, the, that's happening – Soon, this fall mm -hmm. out. Good for him. And so that was, you know, he's just, he is, he's marvelous. He is talented. He is personable. Uh, he is so creative. And I'm just, a, it's a pleasure to have known him all these years. And uh, he's a big star yeah. around the world. I went and saw him. In fact, I couldn't even get back to see him because I knew his uh, security guy at the time. I was in Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And security was so tight on him, I couldn't get past anybody to get to him to tell him i was there yeah you know but i was and that place started rocking people started beating on the on the uh, bleachers yeah inside this arena and i think these were temporary seats or something but the whole place was moving because he had them going worldwide well, i mean Jimmy, i mean he like plays europe everything he's big you know you go back to the 70s right and now and you run all the way through the 2000s now we're in the 2020s that is a long career not every musician can yeah. do that you know that is Absolutely amazing. Uh, broke out on his own, and then now he's got the the whole American Idol thing. He's working hard, yeah. as hard now as he ever did. And he's got all kinds of 
I think products, mm-hmm. you know, like clothes and not clothes so much, but furnishings and just, you know, he's, what do you do? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He's he's got you know, he's happy granddad I think at this point yeah yeah and it's just great I'm glad we got to share that discussion with and I do not use this term loosely the great Lionel Richie I, I can't say any more than you just did and and all I can say is to everybody that's listening to this podcast I hope you enjoyed that that is the most in depth interview you will ever hear uh, with Lionel Richie and it's done by our very own Mr Jimmy Carter right here on Sweeping the Country. Tune in next week for The Vault. We've got something special for you, too. you got something lined up. It's a triple shot next week. Supermodel Cindy Crawford. I like it. One of the great actors in Hollywood history, Ed Harris. Oh, gosh, yeah. And then, and then for the third one, Justin Timberlake. Say so what? There's, there's, it's a wild lineup. Yes, the indeed. The Tonight Show wishes they had that lineup. <laughs> Make sure you're here next week for Sweeping the Country, another Vault episode just for you. Until then... Good day. Good day.